and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and I'm so excited today to have the amazing Katherine Lanigan here with us. So Katherine is the international best-selling author of over 40 published titles in both fiction and nonfiction, including the novelizations of Romancing the Stone and the Jewel of the Nile, as well as over half a dozen anthologies. Her book, The Sweetest Heart, was turned into a Hallmark movie, and several of her titles have been chosen for the Literary Guild and Doubleday Book Clubs. She's won multiple literary awards, and her books have been translated into over a dozen languages. And I met Catherine recently on my last trip up to see the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull. You may have heard my episode, uh, my previous episode with Bill Homan. And she lives down the street from Bill, so she hosted our group, and she was so gracious and amazing, and over time, it came up that she was like this prolific author, and like had this amazing backstory, but she was just, you know, holding space for us the whole time, and and uh, and it took a while for that to even come to light, so um, when she was telling, eventually telling these stories of these amazing books that she'd written and the the supernatural experiences that were that had happened in the childhood home that we were in um and and it came up that she'd written multiple angel stories it was just too good of an opportunity to share this light intelligence i just couldn't pass it up so i had to invite her on and i'm so happy that she's here with us today so welcome Catherine. thank you so much for being here Oh, you're welcome, Carol. It's, it's such a pleasure. And it's so good to see you again. We had so much fun. It was you know, when you so were here. fun. It was, a, it was a great day. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I'd like to just start by talking about your incredible writing career. And I was interested to find out okay. that you got off to a bumpy start with an experience in a creative writing class in university, <laughs> which nearly stopped your writing career in its tracks. So can you share a little bit about about that start? Sure. I was a freshman at an all-girls school. It was a Catholic all-girls school in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and um, <clears throat> highly competitive, by the way. And um, I was chosen by the head of the English department to uh, participate in a creative writing seminar that was being given by a traveling professor. He was only there for one semester. And he was teaching just seniors, uh, liter- you know, senior uh, literature um, majors, creative writing. And uh, but the head of the English department got me into his class, and um, because I had the previous sem- previous semester, I had written my own Greek myth. So oh wow! She felt that I, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so. Uh, so I got um, I got into his class, and after we were there for about a month, we had to write our own short. And what you did was then, and after you wrote the short story, then you presented to the class, and the class would edit, tell you what you needed to fix, all that kind of stuff. Basically, in my case, it was you know throwing the Christians to the lions, you know, because I was the freshman and they were the seniors. So it was a little bit different than probably being another senior. <laughs> yeah, I just have to say that. 
because that's what it was. You were getting but hazed. Anyway, um, the night before I was supposed to go into the class. And, yeah, exactly. That was, yes, my initiation into life. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so so I um, the, the professor called me into his office the night before and said he wanted to talk to me. <clears throat> and it was after dinner, so, you know, it was kind of unusual. But anyway... I went to his office and and um and he was this really big guy. I mean, he was like six foot six and you know the horn rim glasses and huge and and you know the he had a camel colored um, jacket on with the leather patches. I was going to say with the elbow yeah, patches. Whole, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's just like right out of a movie, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and and um, I mean, if it had a pipe, that would have just really oh, finished gosh. it all off. But he yeah. didn't. So anyway, um, so I went in and he, you know, and he's, and he's had one of those really projecting voices, you know, he just boomed, he didn't talk, you know, he boomed. And he said, you know, come in, Miss Lanigan, and sit down. And so I sat down, you know, across the desk from him. And, and now I'm only like 17, 18 years old at this time, right? So I'm like fresh off the farm. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, so anyway, he, he had my... Um, manuscript well, I call it a manuscript now but my little short story you know I was in a little folder and he takes it and he throws it at me it skips across the desk lands in my lap and he says frankly Miss Lanigan your writing stinks and I'm and I'm thinking you know I was so so built up I thought for sure this guy is gonna tell me how great my story is and he really loved it and it's ready for publication you know you know how yeah. if you're 17 you build all this kind of stuff this was not what I was expecting. I mean, I was, I went from being top of the world to bottom of the valley, you know, in a crash, boom. And, um, and I said, excuse me, you know, uh, you want to run that by me again? And he said, you know, I have no idea how Sister Dorothy Smith recommended you for my class. There is, you have absolutely no business being here. You know, these other women have, they, and they already had jobs wait, waiting for them in New York and Philadelphia and one girl had a job at the Globe already you know Boston. Wow. yeah I know another one was at Mademoiselle magazine I was I was just like geez you know so anyway he said you have no idea of what characterization is you have no idea about plot he said the only thing that I can say about your writing is is that you your your uh description is nice hmm. and all I could think of was 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 Henry James's Washington Square when Catherine is is talking to her father and her lover has just run away you know left her he's taken the money and left her there and her father says look at it this way Catherine your embroidery is nice and that's all I could think of you know I was like oh my god you know my world just ended because I was going to go on I wanted to be a journalist I wanted to go around the world this way I could travel and and you know, do all these wonderful things and meet really interesting people and and do fun things and all that kind of stuff. Plus, I get to write about them. And all that went crashing right down the barrel. So anyway, when he fit, he said, you know, I am very mindful of the fact that you came into this school and you said that you wanted to graduate mag, um, uh, summa cum laude, which I did. Because I, when in that school, when you came in, they said, what are your aspirations? And I said, well, I want to graduate summa cum laude. I want 4.0. And they all just went, yeah, sure. Well, he said, you know, there's no way you're going to do it because he said, it's too late for you to take a pass fail, you know, to get out of my class. And I, I just thought, I've never 
gotten out of anything in my life. You know, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to march it through. And um, so he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a bargain with you. If you promise never to write another thing ever again, I will give you a B in my class and you'll at least get through and you, maybe you can make that summa. And I sat there and I just went, it's a deal. And that night I walked out of there and I, I mean, every, I, I was just, I was crushed. I was absolutely demoralized and discouraged. I went, I went back to my dorm and I got my little metal waste can and a pack of matches. And I went up to the dorm roof where we had a sun deck up there and I lit it on fire and I burned the manuscript and I said, I will never ever believe in dreams again. And if I can't see it, taste it, chew it, spit it out and it isn't real, it's not real. And I will never do this again. And so I didn't write anything for 14 years. That's remarkable. Do you, looking back on that, do you have any idea what the impetus was for him to? You know, um, for a long time, I mean, I was 30 years old and writing my first book at that time. And I was working in a a swimming pool and spa store at the time. and, uh, And I was a single mom taking care of my baby and all this kind of thing. And I had this um, customer who was, we were doing a, his backyard for him and stuff. And he was a, he was a psychiatrist and, um, he, he heard me you know, typing in the back. He said, wow, you're really going away at something. Isn't that a, you know, a report or something? I said, well, actually I'm writing a book. And so he, so anyway, we started talking about it because I had been at his house to design his backyard and all this kind of stuff. So we were, had gotten to know each other a little bit. And he said, do you know why he did that? And I said, no, I don't. I said, I just guessed that my work was really, really bad. And he said, that's not the reason. He said, that was a violent, number one, it was a violent attack because he's, he threw the manuscript at you. He didn't hand it to you. He didn't give it to you as you left or anything. It hit it across the desk. And he said, so he used force when he, when he tossed it down. He said, so that's a violent attack. Second of all, he said, he made a bargain with you, a bargain with the devil. You sold your soul for this bargain. And he said, the fact that he brought the bargain up, he said, tells me everything. And I said, what is it? And he said, he saw something in you that made him jealous and it scared him. And he said, so he had to stop you. So the dark side of him, his jealous side had to stop you. And he said, he knew he could do it because he had power over you. You're only 17, 18 years old. And I said, yeah, I was. And he said, and he was the all knowing, you know, professor because he was from Princeton or you know, Yale or some Ivy League school, you know, on, in the, on the East Coast. I can't remember now where it was. Because it was only there for one semester, you know. Yeah. That is, so I have used that. In fact, Jack Canfield today still, when he starts his, his lectures and stuff, tells my story. Really? Yeah, he tells my story. So Jack Canfield is a chicken soup for the soul. And he mm-hmm. did, we did a couple And he said, that's one of the most, dramatic, um, I'm going to stop you in your track kind of story I've ever heard. And he said, and then for you to go on and do what you did, you know, shows a tremendous amount of courage. Right. Either that or I'm really stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, you need that. Like you, there must, there was something within you. I know it shut you down for, for a few years. That's such a tender age to have experienced that. 
And what's interesting is he could have just as easily, well, maybe not as easily, but another alternative to this story for him could have been like, oh my gosh, I'm recognizing this amazing talent that's in front of me. I could nurture this and be exactly. the insp- like an inspiring step. But see, that's, that's what the, the head of the English department was, is she was my inspiration. She was my mentor. Mm. And about 10 years later, after I'd written, I don't know, a dozen books or something, went back to that school and gave a lecture. And she came up to me and she said, she said, I always knew that you would do really well. She said, there was, there, she said, there's some, there's that thing inside you that you were, you know, even though it took you a while to get there, I knew that you would get it done. And she's, and, um, and she said, I want you to know two things. Number one is she said, I always knew that you had God's light in your eyes. And number two is I've sent him a copy of every one of your books that you've written. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when she sent the note to him, she goes, I told you so. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, here's this much. I mean, she was like, you know, 100 years old when she was teaching me, and 10 years later, she's like 110, right? Yeah. Getting her revenge. I just thought that was great. Oh, that's wonderful. I love yeah. it. Yeah, she was a doll. She was a doll. Oh, well, so. thank you for sharing that story because that is truly inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there, I mean, so many of us have somebody somewhere. There's always somebody somewhere in every single person's background that has said, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. Uh, there's no way you can get there. That's too tough. Nobody's going to listen to you. You have nothing to say. You have nothing to contribute. I hate that line. Mm. You have nothing to contribute. So keep your mouth shut. You know, ah, yeah. And, and we, and we all hear those things. We hear them and they're so powerful. I mean, you can have 10 people saying glowing things about you. And one person says something that, that says that you don't stack up and which one is, is stronger. You know, it's the one that you keep telling yourself. Yeah, exactly. You don't keep yourself in check. Yeah. 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 So powerful. Yeah. So So. you've written in in many genres and many of your books are designed to directly talk to a person's soul, which is amazing. And you mentioned you just mentioned about chicken soup for the soul. So you have a couple of the chicken soup for the soul books and you have a lot of angel books, which I mentioned before. Um, Let's talk about the inspiration behind that type of book, that genre. Okay, because that's that is also a really good story is um, the angel books came about because my, in 1987, both my parents were at the grand Canyon and um, my, both of them had heart attacks and my mother had a heart attack first fell to the ground. The, the, the EMTs came, got my mom, put her in the ambulance. My dad, you know, was driving his car, you know, behind and they got her into they because they had to take her to Flagstaff to the hospital in Flagstaff. And so um, my dad was walking behind the gurney as they were taking her into ICU. And um, he just outside the doors of ICU, he just dropped to the ground and he was dead. For 22 minutes, he was dead. They banged on his chest, broke all of his ribs, broke his sternum, broke his collarbone, um, trying to revive him. I, 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 Mother said, I don't know how many times I use the paddles, but I know those more than twice. Wow. Wait, so she had just had a heart attack 
and yeah. they're in the hospital for that. And then he has a heart attack. Oh my God. That's a lot. I, I know. Isn't it? So I mean, when I say I have a story, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so anyway, so my dad is dead for 22 minutes. So my sister is, I was living in Houston at the time. My sister was living in Chicago. My sister calls me and she said, mom and dad both had heart attacks, but mother's okay. Mother's okay. She called me and she said, you're going to get on a plane. You're going to fly to Phoenix. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly to Phoenix. We'll meet at the airport in Phoenix. And she said, I booked us a flight. Take us from Phoenix to Flagstaff so we can see daddy. And, you know, because he was in ICU and they said he's not going to make it. That's what mm. they said at the time. Now, this was back in the 80s when if there was a thunderstorm, you still flew. You know, mm. today they're like, oh, there's a, you know, we saw a bolt of lightning over in the distance 500 miles away. So we can't fly. Well, that's not what happened back then. It's like, oh, that's just a thunderstorm. We'll make it, you know? Mm -hmm. So we just fly low. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so anyway, so I met my sister in Phoenix, and then we flew up to Flagstaff, and it was about midnight by the time we rented the car, got the car, got to the hospital, and walked into ICU. And the nurses and everybody knew we were coming, and it was, you know, so, so it wasn't a problem or anything like that. And uh, we walked in, and my, my dad said, he goes, oh, Kath, you're here. And I said, I said, Daddy, how are you doing? He said, I'm so glad you're here. He said, I have so much to tell you. And I said, you have so much to tell me? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what, what do you have to tell me? And he said, well, first of all, I have to tell you that I love you. Now, I was 43 years old when he, when he said this. And that was the first time in my life that my father said, I love you without me prompting it first. It was always, mm -hmm. I love you, too not just coming out and saying, I love you. you know? So that I, both my sister and I just went, what? You know? oh, wow. it was, that was a big deal. So then anyway, what happened was, is he was dead for 22 minutes and he went to the other side. He said, well, I went to the other side. Now he was a very, very strict Catholic. And Catholics don't call heaven the other side. They call it heaven. And so he, I said, you mean heaven? He goes, no, that's not what they call it. They call it the other side. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, really? How interesting is that? And I, which I knew that, but mm -hmm. he didn't know that. And he's, and I said, so did you see angels over there? And he said, uh, no, I was talking to the being of light. And I said, the being of light. And he said, yeah, that's who I was talking to. And uh, now my father was one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my entire life. He was Phi Beta Kappa. He had a photographic memory. He was uh, the county attorney here. He was an attorney all of his life. He was absolutely brilliant. So this is not just some, you know, body spewing this thing, this stuff off. This very was a very intellectual person. Very intellectual man telling me this, exactly cataloging what he saw and all the details that he saw when he saw them and what he went through. So he said, um, yeah, he goes, the being of light told me that um, you're going to write a book. And I said, well, since I've already written about 10 of them, that would not be all that tough. And he goes, no, you're going to write a different kind of book. And I said, what kind of book am I going to write? And he said, you're going to start writing books about angels. And he said, you're going to take People's story, all of our stories of our family, all your stories. He said, all those stories that, you know, your mother and I did not believe you when they happened, when you saw angels and, and you talked to angels and we didn't believe you, you're going to write them all down. And then you're going to catalog them and you're going to put them in a book. And he said, and then when you die, 
you will be judged on this. And I was like, okay. And my first thought was, I need to get cracking and quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, apparently heart attacks are going around right now and at this point. So you better get done. Yeah, exactly. I was can. like, you know, that took two of them down, so I better get ready. Right. So anyway, so then, so I, so I said to, so I said to him, I said, well, did, I said, did you talk to angels? And he said, he goes, no, just the being of light. And he said, angels, you know, they are those other guys. They're not beings of light. And I go, okay. I he goes, nope. Angels are in a, in a, they're a species all into their own. And he said, they're there. They're there. He said, but that I didn't talk to any. He said, that wasn't, he said, they came to talk to me about you. And I said, well, did they tell you anything about, I said, it's your near death experience. You know, did, what about you? And he said, they, t- they sent me back to earth because I have to tell the people that I love, that I love them. And that you're never to let any opportunity go by in a day and not tell the people that you love, that you love them. And he said, I didn't do that. And he said, they're sending me back until I get that done. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. Now he lived for five more years after that. He had somewhere around five to seven strokes and maybe around a dozen to 15 heart attacks in that five years. He was in and out of the hospital constantly, constantly. But every time, every time I would call and I, you know, I would call cause I was still in Houston. You know, I had to go back to Houston and, um, I would call and he would say, do you want to talk to your mother? And I say, yes, I do. And he goes, well, not before I tell you that I love you. Aww. And I go, I love you, daddy. You know, so he really, he did a good job. And, um, and, you know, and you were in my house, you know, and you, you could feel all the energies and stuff. And so my dad and my mom are around in the house a lot, especially when all of us were gathered together, you know, we're all the same kind of energy and everything that, that they like to come in when that happening so oh wow. that was really special that yeah. is a fascinating story isn't it because yeah. here he dies it's his near-death experience and all these messages that they gave him are all about me right like, yeah they said that was part that was part of my destiny they, they told him what my specific their specific things that I had to do at specific times in my life and they were my destiny and that I could not I had to learn to just follow my destiny, follow my heart, follow my destiny. And when it, when I just kind of like let everything go. And then when it happens, then I jump, which I do, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm big on the jump thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other really fascinating thing with that is that, you know, I, I don't know how old he was in, in 87. He was a 60. No, let's no, no. He would be a, yeah, he was 69. He was 69 okay. years old. So he's had this, he's had 69 years entrenched in, in his religion. Religion. Where he had his ideas about how it all worked in heaven. Exactly. And then he has this one experience that lasts 22 minutes and it, right. he doesn't question it. He tur- everything kind of turns on his head and he's like this and he knows you know, yeah, it did. goes from belief to a knowingness, and it doesn't exactly match up with what the belief up. was. That's right. 
That's which right. is so powerful. This is like, Isn't I it? love hearing about near death experiences because yeah. of that. You know, there's this universality, mm-hmm. there's this wisdom that is universal that comes through that. And these people, it's so powerful. They don't question. They just, there's, they an, it's a knowing. Yeah, it is. It's an annoying and it's an acceptance. And then when he died, when he actually was in the hospital dying for the last time, you know, mm-hmm. I kept saying to him, I said, are you really sure that this time you're really going to die? And he goes, yeah, I, th- I think, I think this is it. You know, they're, they're here. They're, really? they said they're coming for me. And he st- and they were in the room, mm-hmm. you know, the angels were in the room and, um, and I, I had flown up a couple of times when he had had uh, either a heart attack or a stroke, heart attack most um, one time I came up when he had a stroke and he, you know, he couldn't talk and, and, um, and I said, are you going to get well? And he goes, yes. He said, I still got to play another round of golf. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and we live across the, from the golf course, you know, as you know, right. Yeah. So that golf course is calling him to get yeah. out there <laughs> and do the deal. Yeah. So, so it was, um, but anyway, um, um, one, one time that I came up, um, he, the, he had had a heart attack and he was in, the, not in ICU, but in a regular room. And I flew up and I was sitting there and I was reading a magazine and my mother was sitting next to him. Um, he was in the bed and then she was sitting in a chair next to him and she was doing some needlepoint or something. And I said, Daddy, there's a little boy that's standing next to you. And he said, really? What does he look like? And I said, well, he's about two, maybe two and a half years old. And he's got little Oxfords that lace up above the ankle and uh, short pants and suspenders and a white shirt. And I said, it looks like it's like 1912, 13. It's it's like World War One, you know, like a little boy would be dressed World War One. Well, my father was born in 1950. So and I said, he said, what, what else does he look like? I said, he, I said, he's got red hair and blue eyes. He goes, blue eyes like mine. And I said, yes. And he said, blue eyes like yours. And I said, yes. And I said, um, he says his name is Andrew. My mother starts laughing and she goes, uh, she goes, this is, this is crazy. And, and I said, well, he says he's your brother. And mother, the mother laughs again. And she says, that's ridiculous. Your father never had a brother whose name is Andrew. Now, my parents were married for 43 years at this point, right? Mm-hmm. My dad turns to my mother and says, I never told you I had a brother whose name was Andrew, and he died when he was two and a half years old of the of scarlet fever. He had red hair and blue eyes. Oh, my gosh. I've got chills all over. Now, I See, I got chills right now. Yeah. I'm like, wow. You know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was right in the room, and I said, well, he said, he said, and, and then my dad says, was he here to come get me? And I said, no, he just wanted me to know who he was. And I said, I said, no, he's, he's going now. My mom is like freaking out. And then my dad says, Catherine, there is a human being sitting on your head. And I said, really? And then all of a sudden I saw that out of the corner of my eye, I see this woman standing next to me. And I said, well, she's not sitting on my head. She was standing behind me. And goes, yeah, that's right. And I said, I said, uh, is she in a writing habit, a brown and velvet, velvet lapels writing habit? And he said, yes. And I said, she's got boots on and a little hat on her head. And he said, yes. 
And he said, she has big eyes, <clears throat> really big eyes like you have. And I said, yes. And I said, ask her if her name is Barbara. And he said, she's nodding her head, yes. And, um, and I, he, he said, you know, her clothes are really expensive. And I said, yes, they are. And my mother said, Barbara, who's that? And I said, she's related to you, mother. And she goes, that's my Aunt Barbara? And I said, yes. And I said, can you see her? And she said, no, I don't see anything. And da my dad says, well, I can see her plain as day. And he said, but I'm between the world. Wow. Yeah. I have yeah. full body chills all over. <laughs> this is amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank so, you for sharing. I love stories like this. And, yeah. and this is one of the things when we were at your home that came mm -hmm. up about you've been, so you grew up in the house that it, that you're now living in and you've lived right. all over the place, um, yeah. you know, in between, but, um, right. but since you were little, you've seen angels yeah. there. You were talking about, you know, you, you mentioned you've got that golf course across the street from you right. and you can, you have different portals where you see different dimensional beings coming through. Uh, and do. then you have the mirror, that's there too, right. that kind of people can see things. And so does anything call out to you about your home that you would like to share in that regard? Just, you know, the, um, the whole house is a sacred space. It's very protected. There's a lot of angels, you know, I always, when I do my meditations, I'm always do, I'm always asking, you know, particular angels to come in and, and literally stand on the roof of the house protect it and make sure that it's um, that nothing negative gets in when someone when I do invite someone into my house it is a sacred place it's a sacred space and um, I and normally you know I, I meditate to make sure that those people are allowed to come in they have to be of a certain frequency and energy to come in I don't I don't uh, I don't I don't want those energies to be violated, right. you know, and um, yeah, I've had, you know, times when something not so nice has tried to come in and, and they have, they have to either pound on the door, knock on the door, but they have to ask entry. They can't just come in, mm. you know, so nothing, nothing negative can come in. So that. That's why when, like, when you all were here, it felt so good. You know, everybody that was here said, it feels so good in this house, yeah, you know? it did. Yeah. It does. It I have does. a girlfriend that she flew up from Texas, and she had not been here. You know, she and I have been together for over 40 years. And she came in, and she said, the walls of this house drip love. Mm, that's a beautiful that's, way to say it. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you had all the ambiance as well, because it was Christmas time and you had it mm -hmm. just beautifully decorated. So it felt yeah. like this magical, just by using your physical eyes, it felt like this magical playground, you know, <laughs> like, you know that's what I like to think of it as a playground. Really? Play. <laughs> yes. That's so funny because I was yeah. like, that's a random word for me to say, but that's the only thing I couldn't think of another word. But that's exactly right. It's a playground. Oh, it's, so it's, should, when you come here, you should have fun. You know, should have something good to eat, something nice to drink, some some you know pleasurable you know things to do in the wintertime. I've always got a fire going in the fireplace, yeah. 
and in the summertime, there's always lots and lots of flowers from the garden. Oh, so, you know, that's how it, it did. Sure. It was like this kind of crystal. Like when I look back on it, it's like this crystallized experience where I was sort of plucked out of normal life. And then I got to be there in that experience, yeah. you know, and it's it, so it's amazing. But you shared that you since you were little, like little, little, you've seen angels yeah. in the house. Three years and, old. Yeah. yeah. And you were just kind of like, OK, there's that thing. Because you had no context <laughs> for it, but right. would you like to share a little like, bit? Well, they're so pretty. You know, I'm going. Well, that's so pretty. You're that's really nice. You have really pretty luminous wings. How nice! I want some of those. <laughs> Sign me up. How come you get to have wings and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I was only three years old. We moved in in October, right before Halloween. Um, uh, when I was three years old, and as I was explaining, is at the time when um, Bill and I were here, you know, he was down at the end of the street and I'm at the other end of this. I'm on the far west side and he's on the far east side. And there were not a lot of houses around here. This was an apple orchard. The golf course was, a, was, a, was all farmland and it was designed right after World War I. Mm. So, and then, and it took about a decade to build the, the golf course. So it opened in the 1920s, you know. And, um, well, actually, it was like 1929, something like that, you know. And um, so it was always, you know, just this beautiful, natural, it was so much nature. You know, we climbed trees, apple trees, pear trees, peach trees. Um, we just had everything around it. You know, it was like nothing to go out and go out and get some peaches, you know, or go get some pears, you know, or make a, you know, pear salad for dinner. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 well, in Angel Playground Land, yes, of course. Right. <laughs> and that's the way that it was. And so um, from the time I was three, I always, I, that's when I saw my first angel was in my bedroom. I just was, you know, putting my dolls in my cradle. My, my father had found somebody to make a cradle for me for my dolls. And so I had just put my dolls in my cradle. And I turned around and boom, here's this, you know six, seven foot tall, beautiful, gorgeous angel, androgynous. I'm going, couldn't tell if it was a guy or a girl, you know, but long hair. And I'm going, well, that long hair, that's got to be something, you know, Yeah. but just glowing and, you know, just white and gold everywhere. Just, you know, and, um, and, and I said, you know, who are you? And they, and I'm, I'm an angel and I'm here to protect you and to love you and to let you know that you are always loved. And I, I was just like, well, that's really nice. <laughs> Are you here to play with me? Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. And have you was, seen that same angel? Like, because I know you see different things, especially in that I house. Do. Have you seen that same one multiple times? Or There's, there's a couple of times when I've seen that angel. Um, once when I was um, very, very sad mm. and... Um, I did see that angel and, um, and then once when I was very, very sick and so that angel came, but I see so many other angels now, you know, and, and I think, I think a lot of it does because I know that it does change, you know, and, and there's diff when I'm supposed to do something different for the world, then different angels come in right now. I've got a lot of, um, almost, you know, 
strong warrior kind of angels, like the, you know, the Michael archangel mm -hmm. energy coming in, you know, like we're here, we got to do battle because we're, mm -hmm. we're in the middle of a spiritual battle in the world right now. I mean, mm -hmm. even if you're in the earth, you know, there's this literally a spiritual battle going on and we have to be very strong to, to fight this negative force that wants us to just go away and there's some of us are just going to say not quite yet <laughs> yes yeah right, right. So, that's yeah. interesting so it, you get the different it's almost like um well just it applies to whatever the, the sort of theme of what you're going through I mean that makes yeah. sense you've got different yeah just, and and what the you know some, some of us come in and we really do have a destiny that's to take care of a lot of people or to, to change the world. You know, what, when you look at, you know, I'm a history major along with being a literature major, literary major. And, and when you really look at the context of societies at different times in our history and everything, literally one person, two people can change the course of a war. They can change the world, you know, just by, one thing that they did when they just said, I'm going to keep going, you know, on my desk, I don't know if I showed it to you, but I have a little gold thing that says, never, 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 never quit Winston mm -hmm. Churchill. Mm -hmm. And he changed mm -hmm. the course of the world because he would not quit. You know, when everyone else was sleeping, he wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. he was working. He was taking care. He was doing the things that he knew he could do to try and change the that war. And it changed all of history. Right. You know, I mean, otherwise we'd have an alternative history. And right now I know that there are people out there that can do what they do. And, and they, one or two people, they can change everything that we're going through this tsunami of, of negativity that's going on, you know, where it just feel like, how do you hold it back? Well, you know what, put your hand up and just pray it back. Thank you for that. Because Sometimes it does feel discouraging that there's not like a, a I don't see like a, a proper leader right now for the, the light side. You know, there are a lot yeah. of people coming. It just seems like there are all these factions and mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to be like a, oh, all we need to do is like follow this, you know, for the masses is what I mean. Right. Yeah. So right. it's so it's encouraging and inspiring to remember this truth of, you yeah. know, I mean, of course this is true, but it, it can, it can be easy to forget that in these times. Yeah, it is. It is. The thing that, the thing that a lot of people don't understand is there is, um, as you know, as astrologically, there is an energy that right now that is the same energy as, uh, that existed in 1776, 1779, in the 1960s when Vietnam started. And, you know, that's back when I was in college, you know, going, yeah, I'll wear a hard hat to get to the, you know, to get to the library, you know, that kind of thing. You know, people were throwing bottles at everybody, you know, they didn't care who they hit, you know, they just like, you know. Yeah. So that energy is the energy of the little people rising. There is not a leader. There's not a leader anywhere with anything. And the one thing that we need to, to understand as being light workers is that we have a tremendous amount of power and a tremendous amount of power that as a group, as a group, if we put our hands up and say, I'm, I am giving this prayer, this love, this energy for to 
hold off, hold off all the negative, we can push it away. We can do that. Enough of us can pray. Enough of us can send that love and that light to the world that we can change it because this is our turn. This is not the turn of, of, a, of a leader to come up because we get a leader and you just go, well, that guy's not doing anything and that girl's not doing anything because that's this isn't their turn. Right. It's not their turn. Right. This is the term, time of the patriot. This is the time of the, the rabble of the French Revolution where the rabble rose and they made a difference in the, they changed everything because it's the time of the little people and we are the little people, but we have a huge amount of power. We have so much light and so much energy and, and I'm getting very passionate. About yes, but I feel it. <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And we what can I do so much. Yes. And what I love with that too, is that you're, it's, you're talking about it behind the scenes where it's not yeah. even like you don't even have to go to battle on Twitter. You no. know, this is not about even communicating with your neighbor to convince them of your stance. This is in the ether and you yes. have the power through your thought, through your prayer, heart. through your heart. Through yes. your heart. You take your heart. You take yes. what it is that you really want. You want the best for your family, the best for your children, your children's children, the best for the world. You want the crops to grow. I want to see everyone have enough food. I mean, I've got this whole thing about I want no child, no human being to ever go thirsty. There should be water for everybody. There should be food for everybody. And I can make that happen by just sitting in my living room and meditating and saying, I am putting all this love all this light, all this abundance around the entire world for every single animal, plant, and human being that exists. And that's all we got to do. But we just got to have more people do it. That's all. Yes. And, and, and we, to be, and we can do it. Right. And to be we diligent, you know, of, yes. of yeah. not letting the, the physical world try to paint a different picture. Yeah, because that's not real. It's yeah. not, it's false reality. It's just, it's, it's not, that's not what's real. What's mm -hmm. really real is what is in our heart. Right. And I mean, even the most negative person that I can think of, and I can think of a few of them, I know them personally, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there is still some good in there. And I see that little sprout of good and I keep seeing it grow and flourish and blossom into beautiful roses and everything where it just overtakes that person. And I know I can turn that person around by dust sending it love and sending it some nourishment because in every person, if you're a human being on this earth, somewhere in there, there is something that is good. Mm -hmm. There is something that is good. All souls are beautiful. All souls are beautiful in God's eyes. Right. You know, right. we are. There we are. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> So let's switch gears just a little bit because I wanted, okay. I love the story about your, um, the novelizations of Romancing the Stone and the Jewel of the right. Nile, and you're listed as the ghostwriter for yeah. those books. So tell us about how that came about. Okay. I'm actually not a ghostwriter. Right. Back in the day, there was, there was a thing called a novelization and we, you took the screenplay, you took the screenplay and then you turned it into a book. So a ghostwriter is somebody that actually writes the book and, and there, there's no screenplay or anything like that. It's, they actually write the book and then they just change their name. 
The name that's on the Romancing the Stone, it says, written by Joan Wilder. Well, that's the name of the character in the book. That was Michael Douglas's idea to advertise both the book and the, and the film at the same time. He wanted to have Kathleen Turner and Catherine Lanigan be the two Joan Wilders. Um, and then we would go out and we would do all the advertising. You know, she was going to promote the film and then I promoted the book, which we did. Mm -hmm. We did do that. I went, I mean, he sent me, you know, halfway across the world to, to you know, promote the, the film and the book, which we did. And, and um, those are some wild experiences. But, um, oh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> great. But anyway, that's what happened was, was that my um, agent called me one day. I had just signed a contract for um, a very big um you know, like an epic kind of book, a multi-generational saga thing, you know, that I knew was going to take me two, three years to write. But um, anyway, she said, I I just got off the phone with your editor and she said, I've got a, a proposition for you. She's got, we want you to put this, your big book aside and then do this, this uh, project that we've got. And I said, well, what's the project? And she said, well, it's a novelization. I, I said, well, what's that? And she goes, how the hell should I know? I've never done one. <laughs> yeah. And she said, well, Michael Douglas is shooting this film called Romancing the Stone. Kathleen Turner's in it. Danny DeVito's in it. You know, and she named it. And um, she said, so what he wants is he wants to, to take this screenplay and then turn it into a book. And then the book is going to come out two months before the film comes out. And now this was in August of 1983. And, um, and so she said, um, I want you to call Paige, your editor. And she said, she's going to give you all the details. And, and, um, and I said, well, since you don't know what a novelization is, she says, she'll tell you everything. You don't need to worry about it. And this is your book editor called Paige. How, how perfect yep. is that? I know, Did you great? write that? No. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't make this stuff up, right? I guess not. <laughs> so I called Paige, and um, she was the um, acquisitions editor um, um, for Avon Books at the time. And so she says, yes, we've got this. And she said, you know, you're the only person in my stable that can do this, this work. And I said, why is that? And she said, because you can write fast. And I go, Really? So how fast are we talking? She goes, well, you know, it's, she said, I read the screenplay. It's 99 pages. It's really cute. I think you're going to love it. Now this is before there was FedEx. Got to remember this is before FedEx. So there's no overnight delivery for anything. They're in New York. I'm in Houston. It's a little ways away from them. Right. So she says, um, uh, what I need you to do is you take the screenplay and she said, you need to fill in all the blanks and give us the description and stuff. She said, there'll be a little bit of research that you're going to have to do and everything. And I said, oh, okay. Okay. And she said, and, um, and I said, um, well, how, how fast are we talking here that we got to have this done? She goes, well, that's a little bit of a story there. And I said, but <laughs> 28 days. I go 28 days. And this is on a typewriter with correct tape, right? There's oh no computer. There's no cut and paste. There's none of this kind of stuff, right? Oh, wow. There's not even pagination, you know, back then. Yeah. You had to put the number at the bottom of the page. Oh, my god. Well, anyway, goodness. so I said um, 28 days. And she goes, well, first you have to read the screenplay. If 
me if you you know if you, you want to do it because she said if you don't want to do it we're not going to take on the project I went okay so now what there was was blue label and so blue label the United States Post Office could get you something in three days so it was like kind of like priority mail you know is now but it was called blue label back so anyway, I get the screenplay, and, and of course it's darling, you know, it's absolutely darling, and I and I loved it. So I um, so I called Paige back, and I said, I said, um, I really liked it, and I said, I I I said I'm going to take it on, I'm going to take I'm going to take on the project, and I said, but now I've I, I've got three days, you know, now I'm down three days, and she said yes, and then you got to allow three days off of that in order to get it back to me. Goodness. So I'm going, all right. <clears throat> now I'm down to like 21, 20 days, you know, right this thing. So I was working at the time. I had to get a sabbatical from work because I was because I was at the typewriter 15, 15 hours a day to write this thing. And I and I still had to do some, it was the whole thing takes place in Colombia, right? I've never been to Colombia. I don't know anything about Colombia. I've been to New York, but I don't know anything about <laughs> It's a little bit different, I guess. But... <laughs> Oh, I'm, you know, looking up all the birds and all this kind of stuff that he's got and all that kind of thing. So anyway, I called my, so, so I said to Paige, I said, I said, all right, now, before I go, how, I need to know exactly how long this needs to be since I've only got now 20 days. To, so I'm thinking 200 pages, right? She goes, you know, the usual 360 pages. I said that like a usual book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> said, are, you, are you kidding me? Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> I, so then I called my my agent up again, and I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, I have to have this thing done in 20 days, and it's got to be 365 pages. She goes, you can do it. I know you can do it. You know, And I told her I'd already quit my job. And all that stuff. And, um, and she goes, she goes, now, one thing I want you to remember when you, get, when you start writing this thing, and I said, what is that? And she said, if by some fluke, that this thing, this movie becomes, is a hit, becomes a classic, it better be the best damn writing you've ever done. And I went, oh, no pressure there, right? Right, exactly. She goes, but don't worry about it. Who's ever going to go see a movie called Romancing the Stone? Many, (laughs) many people. (laughs) For like 30 years. Yes, right. Right? So anyway, I did, and of course it did become a hit, and I did go, you know, way around the world to promote it and all across the United States. I was on book tour for like a month in the States alone, wow. Canada. And then they sent me to Sicily and Rome and, and Italy to, to promote the book over there. Darn it. And then I, I know. I was, oh my God. Such bad luck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that, and then, um, then from there, then the, I mean, we, they know more than walked out of the theater when they had just the, um, preview you know, when they were just the critics were seeing it and the preview you know, before it even the theaters the book became a bestseller within 10 days of it being out on the market i mean and and I'm, seriously i was on more television and radio shows than you can possibly imagine i was i i, I got laryngitis i was like oh my gosh wow <laughs> but uh, we did we promoted the heck out of that that book and the book was on all the bestseller lists i mean we really did well with and then that that did help the film, you know, get get some traction before it. Even, so he was right. I mean, he, he he it was a good idea. They were very popular at that time. And then as they were walking out of the theater, when the critics were all you know booing and on, um, 
already 20th Century Fox had come to them and said, all right, we want to do a sequel. Oh, so wow. they were already talking about, do, you know, which became Jewel of the Nile later, yeah. you know, a year mm -hmm. later. And then, and of course, because I was um, the um, already the novels, novels that I had done the novelization for the first one, I got to do the novel. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I know that you are, you've stayed very busy for yeah. a long time. What right. can we look forward to next from Catherine Lanigan? Well, the next thing is um, I'm doing my um, teleplays and series on Lillian Zane, which is um, um, a, a series of adventures that are, um, they're, they're spiritual and galactic at the same time Ooh. and and also very, um, and, and a lot of fun. The kids, the, all three, there's three kids in the Lily and Zane Adventures, Lily, Zane, Lily and then Zane, and then there's little brother, Teddy. And all three, all three of the kids have psi powers. So they're not super kids where they're, you know, that's, you know, like a Marvel comic or anything. These are real kids in real stories, real situations, how they get in and out of trouble. There's always some bumbling, very funny, you know, bad guys. And then there's some really, really, really bad guys, you know, which is always the case. And, um, and they, they're, um, her, her father, Lily's father is an archeologist and, and he's always finding some, you know, really great, you know, treasures and stuff that are kind of, you know, interesting things. And everything is extremely well researched. So we've got, you know, real treasures that, you know, real people are, you know, after, but, you know, as always the kids, yeah, the kids always find something else along with, you know, the pearls and the rubies and the sapphires and the stones. They're really fun. They're really fun. So we're trying to get that, you know, picked up for as a television series. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, that's really exciting. Yeah. 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 So how can people access your work? Um, well, there's several things that are still up on Amazon. I have a, I have a website, www.catherinelanigan, that's Catherine with a C, catherinelanigan.com. And, um, and you can just Google me and you can find, you know, Barnes and Nobles has plenty of books and stuff. So. Okay, yeah. great. Well, I'll put a link to your website in the show notes so that people can easily access that. Thank you. Well, what a joy it has been. This has just really, really been <laughs> so fulfilling. I just feel like oh, I've had a, a really nourishing meal or something. This has been been really oh, great. So thank you thank so you. much for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and stories with us. <laughs> and thank you for having me. This is so much fun. And you got to let me know when you're going to come up again and visit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can't wait. It'll be great. Yeah. Good. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great day and a blessed day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. And thank you for listening. Please share this episode. Spread Catherine's light and wisdom. And check out all of her, her books and offerings that are on her website. I have the link in the show notes. And I look forward to the next meditation conversation.